So we just finished it with his wife. And uh, that was a fun one to, to just sit down and talk with her and hear her thoughts. Um, it's those kind of conversations that I really relish um, being able to do. So you're welcome to go pick up those if you're interested at all. Uh, and the last one is really my favorite. It's where I just be grandfatherly. I actually play a little Claire de Lune and talk for a half hour very quietly and pick topics to talk about, almost as if you're talking to a, a little grandchild who's trying to go to sleep and uh, giving them something to think about. And, and the only reason I do that is when I was in high school, I accidentally listened to a program like that out of Moody Bible Institute, and Chuck Wagner was the guy doing it at the time, and it changed my life in high school because this guy was talking about something and I was thinking about it as I went to sleep. And so I thought, well, if I ever get a chance, I want to do that. So I did have a chance, so I'm doing it. Um, and you're welcome to that. There was also uh, some resources there. That There's a book by title, uh, uh, Ideas Have Consequences, and that's what I'm talking about with you. Uh, the idea of truth, but that was really written for my college kids that I work with. I just want them to understand if you have a certain idea, it's not void. There, there's consequences to the idea, and you need to think things through if you're going to embrace something. If you're going to embrace, for example, in government, if you're going to embrace socialism, th there's a consequence to embracing that. So understand what it is before you embrace it. Uh, that's really all I'm saying in there, so if you get the point, don't even get the book because you just understood it. Um, <laughs> And then there's, there's four other books. I know, it's, I know. The, the point for me is not really to sell books. The point is to share information, and that's always a fine line on how to do things because, really, that's what I want to do. I, I, I've asked God if he could allow me. Um, this year, I celebrate my 50th year in youth ministry. I started in 1970, believe it or not, uh, as a youth leader in the Juana Youth Association at our church. And I'm still in charge of a club in our church here in Anago. And so I thought, wow, where'd those years go? And what have I learned? So I'm trying to share what I've learned, that's all. I, I, people ask me, you know, how you get there, and I think, I don't know, you wake up every day, and one day you're old, and you, you've done a lot of things. <laughs> and so you say, here's what I did, and here's what I learned. And if you can learn something from it, great. If you can't, okay, that, whatever. Um, but there are four books written there. They're beyond something. One is about leadership. It's from Nehemiah, et cetera, if you're interested in those. It really meant more for a small group to get together and discuss some of those issues that are in those books. The one I make my students read, I make them read a couple of them. One is the, uh, Beyond the Deception, uh, because uh, first, um, first Peter, or Second Peter and Jude are very similar books, and they talk about false teachers, and I think they need to know what the Bible says about them. And so we have a discussion about that. So you're welcome to those resources and envelope back there. Just put the money in there. Uh, you want to throw a lot more money in there, feel free. We just use it for uh, giving books away. Or all the money goes to camp anyway. I don't take any of it. Um, uh, the My Shepherd book is something that was just a really fun project, and we're hoping uh, you, you can look at kids' books like that and actually get them for five bucks at Kohl's. Uh, we're not Kohl's. That's why they're not five bucks. Um, we can only produce so many of them, and uh, the price goes way up when you do a real high-quality book like that. So uh, if you want them, they're, they're back there. Ideas have uh, consequences. Certainly, they do. For example, if we live in a culture, and this culture has um, relative truth, what's the consequence to that? There's no way I can tell somebody they're right or wrong then. 
So, I, I, you know, relative truth definitely has consequences. Not everything is a truth, actually. And again, you go back and you say, let's outline this so we find out what the truth are, is, really. It's, it's narrow, it's small, but it's there. You know, there, there are truths that you and I live by every day. Here, here's one. Every single person that ever lived will die. That's the truth. You say, well, what if Christ comes back? You're, you're not here anymore on earth. One way or the other, we're not here. In fact, you'll be dead a whole lot longer than you were ever alive. Okay, those are just facts. Now, we can push those to the back of our mind and not do anything with those, or we can have those actually influence the way we live. You know, it's interesting when you just start taking the simple truths that we know and applying them. Um, again, I use examples all the time, whether it be, you know, this here is a pen and somebody created it. Everyone goes, yeah, somebody manufactured it, yes. Okay, simple truth, just simple. Likewise with the universe, likewise with everything. It's just simple. Let's not complicate things because when you complicate them, you get a tax code. We don't want to complicate things. It's interesting to see what people have said through history. Some good thinkers, Albert Einstein said, Americans are friendly, optimistic, and put a premium on material comfort. He wasn't saying that in the context of that's good. He was saying that in the context of they're in trouble. Why? Because if you put a premium on comfort, if that's what matters to you, what's going to happen is you begin to love what you should be using and using what you should be loving. You become distorted in what you do. Francis Schaeffer, if you've ever read any of his things, he was really a, a philosopher, but a, kind of a prophetic philosopher as he sat and looked at the world and he was trying to figure out where are we going and how are we get in there and the fundamentals that are getting us there. He said, a culture that desires personal peace and affluence above all above all else, is vulnerable to an authoritarianism and despair. What's going to happen, and if you look in the Bible, I mean, what, what happens is people who live in, each, when, in a society where each man does what's right in their own eyes, eventually they're totally chaotic. They're totally out of control. Because everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, and it's clashing, and somebody has to say, quit clashing. What you do is you set yourself up for a dictatorship. If you look in the Bible, that's exactly what happens in the long run. A great leader comes, says, I can solve this mess, and we got ourselves into it in the first place by not having truth anymore. You see, what has to happen is people need to back off a little bit and understand there, there are things that are actually truthful, and I need to embrace those, and as I was talking last night, I need to guard those. I need to make sure that somehow in my life I'm not allowing what's true to start to diminish or deteriorate. Because things aren't kind of true, sort of true, almost true. Those are not, that's not going with truth. Truth is not evolving, my understanding is. See, a lot of times people say, well, truth has, has, has changed, you know, it's evolving in time. And No, it isn't. It's always been there. God is God. Regardless of what I understand about him, he's already God. He's already there. He's already got all his characteristics. 
Now, I might say, do you know, I just realized how faithful God is. And you might be going, yeah. See, my understanding can evolve of truth, but truth has not changed. Because of the way we are, we think if we evolve and we understand more, then truth has changed. No, 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 no. It will never change. I mean, right now you can read a plethora of things and become pamphlet knowledgeable on everything. And, you know, there are things that actually might be good for you. I don't know if you sniff peppermint oil or something, that might be good for you. The truth is, if, if you sniff peppermint oil and it's good for you, it's always been good for you. So you're just discovering it. You didn't make a new truth. Science used to be based on that. They used to be based on the idea, let's just find truth. Let, let's, let's independently look for it in different areas. And, and that's supposed to be the basis of science. It, it isn't supposed to be, let's prove that the earth evolved. That, that, that's not science, that's philosophy. That's ideology. But it's not science. Science doesn't start with a conclusion. It starts with a question. It hopes one day to get a conclusion. You know, at one point, people said the earth was flat. Now we know it's not, and there are some people out there saying it is still, so I'm wondering what in the world they're talking about. Regardless, I'm not going there right now. I'm not mad at everybody that says, oh, you know, one time it was flat. That, that's what they thought. And it, 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 didn't, it wasn't like the earth changed. It's our understanding changed. And so what happens so oftentimes is, is we're a people that want to evaluate success. We want to say we've arrived. And in the most important things in the world, we can never arrive. Never. Let me ask you this. Now, I've been married 40 years. Can I finally say I'm a success in marriage? <laughs> now, you might say, well, you've stayed married 40 years. I know the statement is, I've been married 40 years. That's all I made the statement of. You see, a relationship has this kind of different metric to it. It isn't that you can say, I have finally arrived. I need to put no more effort into this. I've arrived at the relationship. Boom, done. Can't do that. I can't do that with my relationship with God. I can't say, okay, I've arrived. I now am where I'm supposed to be with my relationship with God. I don't need to work on that anymore. Done, boom. Project complete. I can't do that with that. How about being in shape? CrossFit, if, if somebody came to you and said, I am now in shape, I do not need to do this anymore. I've arrived. Shape. You would look at him and go, I don't even know what you're talking about. You don't understand. I am trying to evaluate things to where I can succeed at them by arriving at them. Well, your metric is wrong here. You'll never arrive there. In fact, here's what, how I think God created us. I think he created us so that we would always be striving but never arrive until the day we die. If I die first and my wife dies first, whichever one will die first, or we die whatever together, we can, I can then look at my marriage and evaluate it. Well, I can evaluate it today as far as to where it's at today, but it's dynamic, it's moving, it's changing. So, so I can't tell you. So today, in order to be successful, you know what I have to concentrate on is today doing what's right today. That's what I have to concentrate on. And if I do that every day, I get up every day and I do what's right. 
the measurement long term will be evident. But if I get up today and I say I have to do, I have to get there now. Uh, Michael Jordan, when he was a young basketball player, they weren't winning championships in Chicago. Michael Jordan was very talented. People are going, we got real talented Michael Jordan. We're not winning championships. Why? Good question. He'll tell you he had to evolve. He had to learn how to play with others. He had to gain about 40 pounds of muscle because everyone was beating him up every game. I mean, he had to do things in order to get into that championship. And once you're in a championship, they're hard to repeat. And the reason they're hard to repeat is because, see, that's the, the carrot that's way in front of you. When you get it, you think, that's it? Well, maybe I need two of them. Maybe I need three of them. And after a while, it's like, it's so hard to get back there because you realize, I've been there. That's not the measurement of success that I was hoping it would be. Well, maybe I'll be in the Hall of Fame. Maybe I'll have a legacy. Maybe I'll... They get there and like, well, did it work yet? Are you now significant? You're building your significance on the fact that all the millions of people that are around you didn't make it to the Hall of Fame? And you did? See, what's interesting is we try and put the business metrics that they do. Like, you might be in a job and they might say, today, sweep the floor, you're going to be evaluated on the floor. Okay. And we try and put that in our relationships in Christianity, and it, you can't do that. It doesn't work. I said I've been here. This is my 53rd year actually here and, and started as a kid and kept coming back. And, you know, when we first came up, I, I thought, you know, I'm a, I came up here to teach the Bible, to work with churches. And for the first six months, all I did was dig ditches. Putting water lines six feet. I'm thinking, what does this have to do with reaching a lost world? You know what you need to do if you want to find truth? You need to get up every day and work hard at what's in front of you. You need to realize that God put you in those circumstances, and the metric really is, are you going to be successful in that today? And after you do that for 50 years, you can look back and you can see something. In Romans, the first chapter, it tells us that God's ways are beyond tracing. And that just means you look back, sometimes you can't even tell how he worked. And, and people come to me and say, boy, how'd camp get this way? And I go, you know, it's hard. I really should write some of that down, I guess. I, boy, I'll, I don't know. We got up and we dug ditches for a while. And then we did this. And What we have to do is start understanding the truth, the, the very few things that are truth. There is a God. I'm not him. See, that's very true. Almost every day I start with that. I talk to God and I say, God, you're a God. I'm Dave. Let's get that settled right from the start. I don't want to act like God today. I want to act like Dave. You're God. I'm Dave. I want to keep that dynamic. He knows what today is going to bring. I don't. So I want to act in accordance with that. He knows I don't. So here's what I can do. I can be faithful. When the storm hit us, I can remember the day right after the storm, I gathered all the staff, all the kids together. And that night, you know, I have narcolepsy, so I'm not uh, able to really function very well at night. And that night, um, as I stumbled home, before I went, us old guys were together, and 
guys that have been here, our, our staff, there's several of them that have been here over 25 years. And they got together, and this is not the first. This is the third tornado or something like that we've gone through. So this isn't their first go-around. I remember Dan, our maintenance guy, looking in the dining hall and gathering all the college kids there and saying, okay, you know how to drive the skid steer, get on it, get the lights on. You and I and this guy are going to grab chainsaws. We've got to get some roads open. Let's go. And all night long, they worked at just opening roads because we need to get kids out of here. The next day, I gathered with the staff, and I said, you know, I want you young people to watch Dan and some of the older people here. I just want you to watch them. They're not discouraged. Oh, they're tired, by the way. They're more tired than you are. But they know what to do. They know that God loves us, and they know that there's a plan here that's bigger than we are, and they know that God can be trusted, and they're going to get up today and work hard. It's not what we planned. We didn't plan on having to clean up all these trees. You see, but the metric, the measurement really is today, can I trust God in my everyday life moment by moment and do what's right? That's what I have to do. Do I know the long-term effects of it? I really don't. But I don't need to, because I don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring, much less 10 years from now. But I do know God's older than me and smarter than me and loves me. I do know I can trust him, so I'm going to do that, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to clear trees. Do you know for about 14 straight days, I was out in a skid steer grabbing trees and moving them. Do you know that I probably had put one hour in a skid steer before that all my life? And now I'm considered one of the experts. They put me in it all the time if they need an extra body. And I'm thinking, all right, it's kind of fun. It's my video game. In fact, there's, we rented this massive, massive cat backhoe. Massive. I mean, the earth moves. It has the same controls as that little skid steer. I got in that baby, and I was just going up and down the field for fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted to go out on the road and do something. But I was afraid I'd tear the road to shreds. So I just stayed there and went forward and backwards. I thought, you know, God, 63-year-old guy learns more. You keep your eye on Silver Birch Ranch because God's the one in control. And I promise you this. I promise you that at the end of all this, we'll be stronger than when we went into it because that's how he works. I can't tell you how. Some of it's starting to come into vision. We're going to build a brand new lodge. If you've seen our lodge, it's coming down. So is Texan, so is Maverick, so is that other one. And we're building a new one. And the money's there for it right now. And without the storm, it wouldn't be there. In fact, we were thinking, what are we going to do? This building here, it ended up being about 200000 to get this building fixed, some engineering problems, and et cetera. This is paid for. The insurance company paid for it. We don't have to deal with the engineers anymore. We don't have to do anything. They took care of it. They're going after the engineers. I look back on it retrospectively now, and I go, God, we would have never been able to do that, never been able to do this. What you did in the lives of people to see you, what you did in those young people is, is golden. What you've done on this property is golden, but we had to go through 20 minutes of 100-mile-an-hour winds. I, I understand that. Honestly, I fought it at times because I would walk around and tears would just spring out. And I, I would look around and say, God, what did you do? And I had to remind myself of the truth. See, it wasn't the feelings I had to remind myself of. 
The poor me, those feelings are always going to be there. Those are going to be there. I remember um, one time I was driving a bus. I don't know if you ever drove a church bus, but back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, we drove buses here. And I would literally on a Saturday, I was a program director, but on a Saturday I would leave here at 6 in the morning with a busload of kids, go down to Chicago. First of all, we put all their luggage on top of the bus. Put 60 kids in a bus and all their luggage on top, and I would drive down to Chicago, and we had five of those buses. I was one of them. We go down to Chicago, we'd meet at this parking lot down there, unload the bus, load the bus. And, and most of the time, nobody would help. So I would be taking suitcases up, a ladder on the back and throwing them up and then tarping it down and then driving them back up in the summer in July, it's 150,000 degrees. And, and, and really after a while, they dismissed my driving because every, every, after a while, one summer I blew up three buses. Now, I don't know how I blow them up because I'm just driving down the highway 55 and pfft, they blow up. So somehow I got blamed for that, but I'm not sure why. But I remember the last one. All of a sudden, oh, this one was a doozy because the bus in front of us, which is our bus, is a brand new bus, lost a, uh, these trips are blurring, but it lost a drive shaft and it was bouncing down the highway, went through a window of the car next to me. And I'm watching that going, Ugh. and then my bus blows up. I'm going, this is not a good day. My buddy pulls off over there. Another guy is up further in A&W, and I just pull off to the side, and he saw that these two buses kind of faded. And we had a rule. We drove together, so we didn't have phones or anything back then, so you're all on your own. And so I'm sitting on the side of the highway with a busload of kids, I have nowhere to go. I have nobody to call. This is my third bus. Finally, the other bus came back, and he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I know it's illegal, but we don't have a choice. Take all the luggage off the top of this bus, throw it in yours, throw all the kids in there, go back there, pick up all the other kids. What's 120 kids for 50 miles? <laughs> That's what we did. I remember looking at the bus after everybody was off at night. I needed to walk down the highway. I need to walk down and make a phone call because I need to find a payphone. And my dad's secretary was the one who coordinated all the transportation. And I, I walked down the highway and I found a gas station. I got off. But I might walk down the highway. I remember yelling at God, saying, what are you trying to do? I just want kids to get up to the camp. Why do you keep blowing these buses up for? I mean, I had to go through a time in my life where I was just, I thought if you're a believer and you're doing right stuff, man, take care of it. God's going, I'm developing you. I'm thinking, do it another way. Give me cake. No, something else. I was so mad that day. I remember I called my dad's secretary, and all I said was, your bus is here. I'm walking back to camp. Goodbye. Boom. We're in Milwaukee. I walked back on the highway, and I started to walk. I knew the way I was going to walk back here. I'm walking along the side of the highway now for who knows how long. I'm just walking. I'm, 
I got to get back somehow. I got no transportation. We got no phones. I could care less about the bus. It could be pushed into hell for all I care. And I'm walking up the highway. All of a sudden, a car pulls over. My dad's youth pastor gets out of the car, looks at me and goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm walking to camp. Do you know where you're at? I'm a bus driver. I know the way. Get in the car, Dave. No, get in the car. I said, how did you know it was me anyway? He said, well, you're wearing a silver birch shirt. <laughs> Big letters. So he drove me back. I remember I went to the A-frame and I, where I was staying when I got back here. I beat the buses back, obviously, because I don't know how. They, they had to figure out how to do everything with two less buses now. Got back to A-frame, and I just cried out to God and said, what am I doing? What, what good is this life you give me? See, I had to sort things out. I thought, you, you work for the king, man. Everything's cool. Everything's easy. You know, I go back, and I look at all those experiences. And now, as an adult, I've had pulmonary embolisms. I, I suffer from narcolepsy. Go, yeah, I could give you a list of things. I tell you what, learning who God is and learning the truth about life and learning the purpose of life has allowed me to go through it and enjoy every day. I, I, I never would say that I want to go through that storm again, and I really don't want to go through that bus thing again. I remember once, and I'm not going to go into the story, but by the end of it, it was a really stupid thing that, that happened. We had a brand new bus, and the Illinois police wanted us to have a new safety sticker on it, but it wasn't an Illinois bus. It was a Wisconsin bus, but they wouldn't let me leave the parking lot anyway. And, and I told him, I said, well, you don't understand. My spare bus is this piece of junk. This is a brand new bus. Don't make me get the spare bus. It goes 45 miles an hour tops. It looks good, though. It's got a great paint job, and it's got the sticker. Just because I didn't get it sanded in time because it was all wet sanded, and it was lime green wet sanded but not painted yet, so it looked really terrible. He made me take that bus. The, the ugly, I mean, the real nice-looking ugly bus. I remember I was so late. The other guys had to wait for me, and, and we were so late that night coming back again. We got to the edge of the reservation. It's about 11 o'clock at night. We're just about to hit the winding roads, and all the electricity goes out of that bus. I've been on the road since 6 in the morning. Everyone saw me pull over. They pulled over. They said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going. You get your van in front of me. You get your van behind me. Throw your brights out. We're running this baby. Please don't go tell anybody I did that. I'll still get thrown in jail for jeopardizing somebody's life. But the truth is, at that particular time, again, God, see, he, he kept working on me to get me to understand something. This life that we have, if we're doing anything significant, anything significant, in other words, we're walking with God, we're enjoying him, and we're doing what he wants us to, we're going to be opposed. So why was I thinking that being opposed was something that shouldn't happen? You know, it's really weird. 
when I played football, what I realized is that all the opposition, everyone that ran at me, I was a defensive player, defensive end. So if somebody was trying to push me this way, that's because the play was that way. All I had to do is recognize where the problems were, where the resistance was, and run into it. When I realized that, they hated me. The, the coaches, that's when they voted me All-State. I mean, I was the shortest. I was a 205-pound defensive end. Their girlfriends were bigger than I was. The thing is, whenever somebody blocked me, I said, you're blocking me? No way, and I just run into them full speed. You don't want me there? I'm going there. See, I learned the principle. Wherever the resistance is, somebody is trying to stop you from getting there because that's where significance is found. That's the truth. If I'm going to love God and do what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to live as I'm created, there's going to be resistance to it. If I'm going to live in the truth, there's going to be resistance to it. I can't expect people to say, oh, it's great, you know the truth. When will I, have, when will I finally get to where I've arrived? I, I don't know. I think I've got to die first. Until then, i got every day the same. I get up, I have to do what I know I need to do today and, and trust that God will guide and provide. And I can do that. See, with all the diseases, all the stuff I've been through, I have hope. I look forward to every day. I'm one of those weird guys. I don't need my alarm to wake me up. Five o'clock, I'm up, ready to go. Let's go. Why? Because I don't know what's ahead yet, but let's get to it. Today, I didn't know if I was going to speak to you twice and then go out and groom the trails and then speak again later. So, you know, 6.30, I'm bugging Brad. Hey, Brad, here's the deal. I'm speaking twice. We've got to get out there and groom those trails again. I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. Whatever it is, I guarantee you, there's a plan for it, and it'll be good. I just got to get up and do it. We all have perspective in life. We have perspective on different words, different ideas. But we don't want to have it. Here's a real weird truth. We all think that we know truth so much so that everybody else has a perspective, but we don't. We know what the truth is. What we do when we say that is we we declare ourselves to be God because he's the only one that has no perspective. And declaring ourselves as God is very dangerous. I will always have a perspective, by the way. I remember growing up, went over to some of my friend's house, and the way their parents settled arguments was by throwing dishes at each other. I was surprised. I came home and said, hey, Dad, you know there are people that throw dishes at each other? Whoa. I mean, it shocked me. Why? My perspective wasn't that. My mom and dad would never throw dishes at each other. So I didn't think anybody threw dishes at each other. What, what would that do? I know, all the way in my journey in life, there were several things that surprised me. Because my perspective, see, my perspective was a certain way. You know, I'm one of those guys that grew up with a mom and a dad who actually loved me and spent time with me. That's my perspective. I don't even understand a family unit outside of that. You know, my daughter got married recently, and before, she, before this guy would even seriously date her, he wanted to see if, what I would think about that, and he really didn't need to. She's 36 years old, but he did. 
I said, you know what? There's a couple of things that scare me in life. So I'd appreciate it if you don't scare me. Can you imagine talking to me and that? You want to date my daughter and I'm saying, don't scare me. I'll tell you what they are. Number one, I, I, I need you to love God and walk with him. You need to cherish my daughter if you're going to. You're at the stage where you're not dating for the fun of it. So I counsel too many people who, whose lives are ruined by alcohol. I don't want you to touch a drop. I know you're old enough. You can do what you want, but I want you to touch it. I don't want you to have it ever. So please wait till I'm dead before you ever do that. And then I hand him the book by Vadi Bachman that says, this is what you need to be if you're going to be marrying my daughter. He'll never let me live that one down. It's like, I was just asking you to date her. I said, at your age, you don't date. You're looking for a spouse. And if you're ever going to take seriously my daughter, you better have some scruples about you. That's all I'm saying. By the way, I'm going to love you no matter what. But you asked my opinion. I think there's some truths that need to be there. You need to love God. You need to make sure your brain is always in function. That's why I don't want you to drink. You, you need to make sure that you're a leader in your home. And, and I want you to understand that that's how I think. And they've got married and they have a great marriage. And he keeps coming and talking to me and I, I love him dearly. There's some truths. I didn't ask him about all his finances. I didn't ask him about all I, didn't, I don't care about that. I actually went to the issues that actually mattered that I thought were truth to me. We all have perspective. You may say, well, you're so hard on alcohol. Well, I've seen a lot of it. That's my perspective. I've never seen it do good. That's only my perspective. I have alcoholics in my family. I have people who committed suicide in my family. I've seen that. I understand that. So I have a certain perspective. I'm not saying I have a, a, the only perspective. I just have one. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that I have one. But God doesn't have one. So I can come to him anytime and talk to him and realize there's a, there's a playing field that's absolutely level there. And I don't want to ever commit the sin of trying to become God. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live as if I don't have perspective. I don't want to do that because that's God's definition of himself. And the reason he doesn't have perspective, everything he does, he sees no. When you see everything exactly the way it is, that's not perspective anymore. You have to see it through a different lens for it to be perspective. That's why I can struggle, but God does not. Because Everything in my life has some kind of perspective to it, and so does yours. And even as I talk to you, one of the fun things about listening to somebody who has a different perspective is that you gain different perspectives from listening to them. It's not even that they're right or wrong. It's that, you know, as you listen to me, you gain my perspectives in life, and you have perspectives in life. The goal of all of us should be that we Embrace the few truths that there really are and enjoy how God has taken and manipulated the perspective so that we can see the truth. I mean, I could go through all these words with you and, and go through and say, You're, you have perspective on all these words. 
But what if all these words actually have definitions? I'll use one of the hot buttons is climate change. Okay. I actually enjoy it. If I'm going to talk about climate change, I'm going to go talk to a scientist that works in climate because I want, I want to see what the validity of it is. So I did. And he said, you want to know my scientific thoughts? Yes. Climate's always changing. <laughs> I said, so this isn't a big deal? He goes, no. He said, it's always changing. So I don't, I don't know. We've had ice ages. We have, I mean, it's just, it's always aging. Talk to DNR around here. How come the lake's so high? Because there's a lot of water in the ground. How come it was so low about 10 years ago? Because there wasn't as much water in the ground. <laughs> so what's the answer? More water or less water in the ground? Any other questions? Does that happen because of global warming? I have no idea. There's water. It rains. I, I have no idea. Perspective, see? It's all different. If somebody's listening to this young girl who's out there talking about economics and all kinds of stuff that she's totally qualified to talk about, <laughs> then they have a different view on it. You know, I'm not, dis I'm not angry with the girl. I'm just thinking, why are we listening to her? She's cute, but why are we listening to her? If she were my granddaughter, I'd say, nice opinion. I mean, I, that's nice. You can have an opinion about anything, anytime. But there's people that actually have studied this. We all have perspective. That's my point. It's very simple. I need to take my perspective, acknowledge it, wrestle it down, and say, God, how does that fit within truth and reality? That's all. If I don't do it, then I become God because my perspective becomes the only thing that's true. And the rest of my life, I spend trying to get you aligned with my perspective. And that's why I measure my success. How many people can get aligned with my perspective? When that's not the goal of life. You do not have the perspective I do. You do not need the perspective I do. You need to respond to the truth. However you get there. God used certain things in my life to get me there. Bus trips, camping, storms. He's used them. You've heard uh, different sayings, and I think we need to be aware that this is a, a, a thing that's going on. Reach out and touch someone, finger-licking good. We live in a culture that basically is inundated with uh, propaganda. We don't call it propaganda, but do you know that marketing or advertising years ago was really called propaganda? It wasn't called advertising. They changed it because of the connotation of the word. Propaganda sounds so schemish. So marketing isn't, branding isn't. Now some of you in the marketing world go, oh, don't go there. No. You know what, marketing is a great thing if you're marketing something that needs to be marketed and it's worth marketing. I don't know if that made sense, but that, you know, if you're selling shoes and I need shoes, I want you to market them so I know what you got so I can make shoes. I mean, that, that's, a, that's fine. Propaganda, see that's different. That's getting people to believe something that they don't believe or do something that they don't want to do. Or Hitler embraced propaganda. If you go in the, in, and study uh, marketing, propaganda, the father of, of modern-day marketing is, is a guy named Bernays. He's um, Freud's double nephew, whatever that means. I think that his, somehow his mom and dad, forget, he was a double nephew of Freud. You figure out the genealogy. 
But basically, but what Freud did was, was he realized some very interesting things about the human mind. And, and Bernays took it and he said, oh, we can manipulate people to do whatever we want them to. He was one of the main influencers for how Hitler did things. Intrigued by Freud's notion that irrational forces drive human behavior, Bernays sought to harness those forces and sell products for his clients. He basically believed that irrational behavior, irrational forces drive your behavior. In other words, it's not truth that drives you. It's something else, and he's got to find it. And he can get you to do anything he wants if he can just find it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the buttons really are. Significance, security, acceptance. If you can go and get people to realize you have this, you're going to be more accepted, you're going to have significance, and you're going to be secure, they'll buy it. Well, you can throw comfort and all that other stuff in there, but it's not as important as acceptance, significance, security. It's not as important as those three things. Comfort in our modern society is right up there, I'm, I'm sure. Bernays, Edward Bernays said this, the conscious and, the inten and, and, and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is, true, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, and our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. It is they who pull the wires that control the public mind. He is the father of advertising. Anyone who has studied advertising in depth knows who he is, knows his methods, understands what he did. I've told you this story before, but here's what he did. He, He's the guy, during the time when women were trying to vote, the women's suffrage movement was going, he's the guy that basically, um, lucky strike, cigarettes went to, and said, we need to get women to smoke. They don't smoke. And he said, well, I, I know why. Why? The green on your package is the wrong color green. Really? Yep. They're never going to buy that. Plus, it's not ladylike. So you got two problems. And they said, well, what should we do? We'll change the color. They said, we're not. That's our color. Because then we've got to change their mind. They've got to like this color. So he went to France or wherever they do the fashion stuff. And the next year, all the accessories that came out with things had lucky strike green color. He said he had to make the color acceptable. Even wanted. Then... He went to a parade in New York. I forget what parade it was, but all of the very powerful women were marching in the parade for the women's suffrage movement. He made a deal with them. Stop at this intersection, and I will hand you freedom sticks. Cigarettes. He called them freedom sticks. I want you to light them up, and we'll take a picture. The green was now acceptable. He tied the cigarette to the significance of womanhood in voting. Within a month, there were as many women smoking as men. 
So I bred. I didn't count them. All he did was change a few factors. The truth is, his wife smoked cigarettes and he kept trying to get her to stop. Bernays claimed, actually, that smoking was good for your throat and lungs. And yet, he kept trying to, every time he found cigarettes at home, he'd break them and throw them in the toilet and tell his wife not to do that because they were no good for you. Propaganda. I can make people do things that they shouldn't do. I don't tell them the truth. I have to manipulate the facts, but I can get them to do what I want them to. That's why people need truth. That's why we long for truth. We want to know what it is. Oh, I read that. In 1930, he promoted cigarettes both as soothing and throat and slimming to the waistline. But at home, Bernays was attempting to persuade his wife to kick the habit. When he would find her pack of parliaments, she didn't even smoke Lucky Strikes. What a rebellious. <laughs> when she found a pack of parliaments in her home, he would snap every one of them in half and throw them in the toilet. While promoting cigarettes as soothing and slimming, Bernays, it seems, was aware of some of the early studies linking smoking to cancer. Bernays also used fear to sell products, by the way. Fear. Missing out, whatever it might be. For Dixie Cups, Bernays launched a campaign to scare people into thinking that only disposable cups were sanitary. He knew that wasn't true, but it didn't matter. Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter warned President Franklin Roosevelt against following Bernays to play, a, 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 allowing Bernays to play a leadership role in World War II, describing him and his colleagues as professional poisoners of the public mind, exploiters of foolishness, fanaticism, and self-interest. He did play a specific role in Hitler's world. Hmm, look at the difference. Hitler, in fact, the whole German movement was based on propaganda. They used it unashamedly. You'd have to if you're going to kill a bunch of people and make it sound good. Here, here's, what I, here's what I want you to think about. In the Bible, there are some things that are absolute truth. They're, they're just absolute truth. First of all, the Bible tells us that God created the world. And, and again, I, simple, somebody created this pen the logic of that goes to the whole universe. The universe is a lot more complicated than a pen. If this thing can't come together by itself, the complicated universe can't, my body can't. You know. So the, the bottom idea is there, there's a creation and there's a creator. Now, the, the thing is, if there is a creation and there is a creator, then the only logical thing that you do with that is be one who submits to the creator. But if there isn't, if it's all accidental, you don't have to submit. You have no one to submit to if there's not a creator. Gender. Believe it or not, God created gender. In the Garden of Eden, it was very clear. He created man and he created woman. No other ethnicities or anything, nothing else. We didn't mention it, just man and woman. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but they're different. They are different. You might say, oh, you're, honestly, they're different. You know, it's really a sad thing. In our culture, we've, we've made different bad. Different isn't bad. It's different. So, so here's what happens. We have trouble in our culture understanding that we have roles to play to fulfill because we want everything the same. I am never going to give childbirth. I am never going to know what it's like to feed a baby from my breast milk. I, I'm never going to know that. That doesn't make my wife more important. It makes her different. She has a role to play. I have a role to play. Now, if I'm going to say there's no difference, we lose the idea that God made us in a way where we have specific roles to play. Now, I would suggest, and I'm going to get into it more as we meet the second half here, but submission is an important quality in a culture, so is understanding roles. And those are undermined. Love. God created love. Love, the byproduct of love, is responsibility. In other words, I'm commanded to love God. I have a responsibility to obey him. I'm commanded to love you. I have a responsibility to watch you and do the best I can to help you. I have that responsibility. I can't push that away. Love demands that. Unless I change the meaning of love. And if you can love a pizza, you can change the meaning of love. If that makes sense. All right, I'm going to give you guys a break, and then we'll get back together and continue on this journey, because I want to expand that a little bit uh, that I just started rambling about here. So take a break. I don't know what time you want to get back started. Who's in charge of this world? <laughs>